Father, we do echo that prayer. It is a longing of our hearts that as we gather, you would accomplish in us that which we cannot do. Through your gospel, O Lord, make us clean from the inside, not just exterior, but from the heart. We thank you that the promises of your word point us to your son, and he is the the bread of life, the water of life, the one that we can look to constantly to experience this forgiveness, this joy, this renewal. And as we gather today together, Lord, to come now to your word, we pray that you would meet us in a special way. I thank you for your people. We love to be together, Lord, under you. And so speak, we pray, O God. Speak through your word in power, and address us, bring comfort, bring encouragement, prop us up, Lord, for this work. Point us to Jesus once again. Convict us of sin, refine us, O Lord, and then set us on the path to walk this week for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Kids, you can be dismissed to go to your class and... The rest of y'all would encourage you to get a Bible. You're going to definitely want a Bible today. We're going to be in Exodus once again. We're finishing up the remaining chapters of this incredible journey. I titled the sermon, Holy Clothes, Holy Men, and Holy Smoke. This is an amazing three-chapter journey that we're going to take today. And uh, I'm excited to, to share it together with you. I want to begin just by looking at the first chapter, 28, uh, 1 through 43. I titled this Divine Designer, okay? And so kind of the, the reoccurring theme as I studied was this, this idea of God as a designer. You think of what we covered as uh, we saw the details of the tabernacle unfolded. God the architect, right? God the, the detail-oriented craftsman who gave such ornate detail to all of the furnishings of the tabernacle and then this now continues so you could say uh gucci has nothing on this okay this is the divine designer at work now bringing together the the robes of the priest the clothing the attire that the priest would wear most specifically here in this the items of clothing for the high priest and his sons so Let's move in here. I want to say a few things, just kind of uh, canopy things. The Levitical priesthood is established in these verses. It is a sovereignly assigned role. No one comes to this priesthood by right. Aaron and his sons are chosen by God and then sovereignly assigned this role, this, this function within the biblical community of his people. It is also a role that is not purchased it is not grabbed by power it is simply inherited this is a priesthood that would be passed in a family line from generation to generation and so you see this levitical line kind of unfold aaron and his sons the other thing to think about is we have a theocracy here not a monarchy we have a theocracy god is the leader of his people but you can't see him like a man or face to face. You see the smoke and his presence. But the closest thing that you can do to interact with the Lord in this thing, uh, in this relationship, is to come through the high priest. 
he would, in that sense, be the recognizable highest-ranking leader of the people, the most visible. And in that, his clothing is to show that as well. Uh, There is no king but the Lord. But the mediator between God and his people is to be now this high priest, especially as Moses hands off the torch and this moves from generation to generation. Even in the New Testament, as Jesus comes on the scene, you see how significant the high priest is in leading the people. And obviously the shadow that this points to the reality of in Christ, our great high priest, the focal point of our worship, Jesus our Savior. Holy garments for glory and beauty. So just to sum up here, we're going to see in great detail these garments given to reflect the glory of God and the beauty of God. So as we read, and there's a whole bunch of detail, I want you to appreciate the detail Because God has purposed to show his glory in these fine little details that he gives, even about the attire of the high priest and what he was to wear. So let's go in here. Let's start in 28 verse 1. We'll just read on through down through these six items of closing. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Okay, so let's begin with the ephod, and we'll look at this in great detail. Here, you can kind of follow along in the text and then glance up from time to time at this pretty accurate artist rendering of this as it's given here. So we'll begin with the ephod of gold. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Do you hear the echo of this from the tabernacle, right? Same exact sentence there of, so much of the material that was used in the tabernacle. So this is really an extension of that design on the high priest. Verse 9, You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. Shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, And you shall set the stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords. And you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. Okay, do you see? uh, It's pretty small detail here, but right here, these are the stones. These are the pure gold chains. 
that are to be affixed to the breastpiece, which is right here. So this is the, uh, the ephod, the golden ephod as it is described. Carrying the names of Israel on his shoulders. There's no small detail there. He comes in, the high priest, bearing their names as if carrying the weight of what? Their sin as he comes into the presence of the Lord. Okay? Now let's continue. Verse 15. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, you shall make it. It shall be a square, doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall make it in four rows of stones. A row of sardis, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, emerald, sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree and attach it in the front of the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the ephod, to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and Thummim as they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Here is the artist's rendering here, almost like a pouch, okay? So you have on the exterior part these 12 stones, each with the name of a tribe of Israel in their order of birth, which is a whole side discussion, very interesting thing to consider, but we won't this morning for the sake of time. And then inside that pouch are those two stones of judgment as well, the Urim and the Thummim. And those have been used in different ways. There's all kinds of uh, historical musings about how these stones were used. But it, some would say they were um, stones that the, they would ask the Lord, what should we do? Should we do this or should we do this? And he would reach in and pull one out. Whichever one it was, it was yes or no. And, or, or one would light up and the other wouldn't. And there was a sense in which the high priest could then discern the will of God precisely through the function of these stones as they sought him throughout uh, the generations. Fascinating thing to consider. But I was struck with how he would carry and represent the people of Israel as he came into the presence of the Lord. He would bring them 
both on his shoulders and on his heart to represent them before the holy God who is. Now, let's continue. The robe. You shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue. It shall have an opening for the head on the middle of it, uh, in the middle of it, with woven binding around the opening, like the opening of a, in a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and around its hem with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out, so that he does not die. Wow. Okay, if you're the priest, you know, and you're, you're receiving these instructions from Moses, you're like, what? say what? Huh? The bells, the what? The pomegranates? Okay, look really close here, down at the bottom of the, of the fringes of his... his uh, robe were these pomegranates. The pomegranates would serve to kind of mute the bells, and the bells would serve to chime as he walked. And so it's hard to imagine what it would sound like, but there was a certain noise that would accompany the high priest in his movements. I'm sure they would be fluid. He wasn't running or jumping, but he would be moving about, and you would hear this. And anybody ever gone hiking and wore uh, worn bear, bear bells? Have, have you ever done that? The point is, is that you don't startle the bear, right? They hear you coming. And from the best I can understand here is that there is a function of these bells. Not that God would be surprised, oh, oh, you, you caught me off guard there. But that as this high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and move about in the tabernacle, he would do so quite carefully, right? Uh, in a sense, enter with care and leave with great care. You don't just throw the curtain open and pop in, hey, what's up? No, there is respect and awe and a dignity to this, this movement. And life is on the line, right? Life or death. Hmm. The priest was grateful for the bells. Let's keep going. The turban, you shall make, verse 36, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord, it shall say. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. And it shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Once again, not only on his shoulders, not only on his heart, but written across his forehead, holy to the Lord. Do you just feel how important the holiness of God is? How important it is that we appreciate the holiness of God? How many different ways is it represented, even in the clothes that the high priest is to wear as he comes carefully into the presence of God. Verse 39, the coat. You shall weave a coat in checkerwork of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a, make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps, and 
You shall make them for glory and beauty. You shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with them, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall make for them linen undergarments. Yes, it's there. Holy underwear, okay? Linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. And so we have a bit of a glimpse into the attire that God required of those who would mediate between the people and his presence, the priests. Now, let's take a chapter and consider this. The clothes are not enough. God is not only saying, I want you to look a certain way and it's consistent with my tabernacle and these fine and precious things as I've set apart and made holy and these men are to be holy, but their holiness is not just surface. It goes way deeper than that. These men are to be consecrated to the Lord, not only with what they wear, but in their hearts, consecrated to the Lord. That's all of chapter 29. Let's just dive right in here. Beginning with uh, this, washing and dressing. Verse 1. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And you shall make them of fine wheat flour and shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. And you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put uh, on Aaron the coat and the robe and the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. See, there's some details here that still have us kind of like, ooh, really? So, I mean, all of these, these things, God is lining up. Then take the oil and pour it on his head, the anointing oil, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priests shall be theirs, uh, the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Uh, there's going to be a number of sacrifices required. First is the bull for a sin offering. Verse 10, then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. This is not a small animal. Remember this, this is a bull. This is a large animal. You have to control an animal this big. Uh, this is probably not a pet, okay? A bull. Bring it before the tent. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take the, all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. And pretty much that's where I get disqualified, okay? My medical queasiness, it, yeah, I'm like laying flat. And they're like, yeah, this guy's gone. Okay, get him out of here. If I'm separating 
fat from entrails and livers and said, nope, I got the wrong guy. I wonder if Aaron ever had a son or a grandson who was queasy like me. What do you do? Verse 14, but the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It's a sin offering. So we're reminded that these priests come, they come not only to represent the sins of the people, they come as sinners as well, right? They have to be atoned for and their sins have to be covered by the blood of the sacrifice as part of their own consecration. Look at how they lay their hands on the head of the bull. This is a symbolic uh, visual of my sin transferred to this animal and then he is slain. What does that mean? It means that is what I deserve. This animal is a substitute sacrifice taking what I should take because of my sin. All foreshadowing the sacrifice of Christ that would be made. Now, verse 15, the ram, a burnt offering. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And then you shall kill the ram and take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces on its head and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. Uh, and it is, it is a burnt offering to the Lord. It's a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. So this ram uh, is now sacrificed and burned entirely uh, together, although apart, but cleansed. And then the whole thing is to put on the altar and be burned with fire. Again, we're so far removed from this. I want you to remember, for those of you who have had the experience of hunting and, and gutting an animal, that is unbelievably memorable, okay? Can we just say that, right? We don't need to give much more detail. The, uh, the senses are engaged in that. And then the smells of, of that flesh being burned as well. There's an aroma. There is uh, that smell of, of burning flesh. And so... It's, it's more sensory than we can experience as we read. You've got to just put yourself as much as you can into these verses and try your best to engage your senses here as you journey through here. Now, the third uh, sacrifice is the other ram, a wave offering. You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. You shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of their right ear and uh, of Aaron, and on the tips of the right ears of his sons, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the great toes. I like that. We call them big toes. They, the Bible calls them great toes. That's, that's even better. The great toes of their right feet. Throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar, and the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron, and on his garments, and on his sons, and uh, his son's garments with him, and he and his garments shall be holy, and his son's and his son's garments with him. You shall also take the fat from the ram, and the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread, and one cake, 
uh, of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You see, you can't help but appreciate how precise and specific God is in his instructions. Why the detail? What is he saying about who he is and about their need to obey him? Follow my directions to a T. Don't think that you can just do whatever you want before me. I am God and you are to follow in my commandments. Amazing. Verse 24, you shall put all of these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on the top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it before the offering before the Lord and it shall be your portion you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination from what was Aaron's and his sons. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it's a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel for their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. Now, the priest feast, verse 31. He shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh for the ordination or the bread remain until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it was holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all I have commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them. And every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. And you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Who could give instruction on holiness? The holy God of Israel. This is an ordination that uh, we have no concept for. I remember when I was commissioned here at the church. It was a special Sunday morning and there were some special guests invited and there was some ceremony and some different things that we did. It was a special day. I still remember it. Can you imagine doing that for seven days? All of these instructions and, and the bull and sacrifice and all of the procedures followed. Seven days straight. By the seventh day, those priests would start to understand for sure, my sin is a big deal to God. Seven bulls have died. Their blood has been thrown at this altar. Hmm. Now daily sacrifices, verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, 
day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth of sea of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil and a fourth of a hin of wine for drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. Now listen, verse 45 and 46. I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. That's a great way to wrap up all of these sacrifices, all of the the work and the detail given. Draws us back to the whole goal of this. What's the point? Why would he go through all of this? Why would he deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians out of their slavery? The goal is that God would be dwelling with his people. And in order for that to happen, there was some significant things that needed to take place. Otherwise, they would be consumed in their sins because God is so holy. Yet in love, he provides for them a path, a way for this interaction to take place, for their lives to be spared, for His glory to be heralded and set on high, and for them to trust and obey as they wander throughout the wilderness these years. Hmm. Chapter 30, verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. This is the altar of incense. You can kind of see it. This is a pretty good depiction of this a cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth it shall be a square and two cubits shall be its height its horns shall be of one piece with it you shall overlay it with pure gold its top and around its sides and its horns and you shall make a molding of gold around it you shall make uh, two golden rings for it under the molding on two opposite sides of it you shall make them and they shall be holders for the poles with which to carry it You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lambs, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. Now, verse 9 is tremendously important for us to see. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on this. This is significant because, not from the book of Exodus, but we know that there was two sons of Aaron uh, down the line here who decided one day that they would just bring unauthorized incense. And it says that they offered strange or unauthorized fire 
before the Lord. God was instantly indignant and angry, and he struck them dead in their disobedience. God's not playing games with these instructions. When he says no unauthorized incense on it, he means that. And life and death are on the line. And so we just remind it again, how serious are your commandments? How big a deal is your holiness? How much care should we give to obey your call and your command? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. God is no pushover. Verse 10, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Hmm. Now, the census tax, verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, when you take a census of the people, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them. There shall be that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is a 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less. Sounds like a flat tax, doesn't it? Then the half shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, then you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and give it before the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. So there's a lot going on here. Uh, but I had a, a very interesting uh, podcast I was listening to recently where someone asked the question, when Jesus paid the ransom to buy us back out of our sins, who did he pay it to? Well, the, the, the worst answer to give would be Satan. He did not buy us from Satan with his blood. That is not what he, he bought us from God. From the wrath of God. He, he bought us from the penalty of wrath that we were under. Our ransom had to be paid by God to God through Christ. Isn't that amazing? This is one of the reasons I would answer that way. It's because their ransom price was paid to the Lord to make atonement. It's the shadow that we find the reality then of in Christ. The tax would be given as well to help keep the, the work of the tabernacle and the, the Levitical priesthood sustained as they did their work throughout. Those folks didn't have any land in the promised land. This was, this was their sustenance. This was how they were to, to minister and to serve. Now the bronze basin. This is a fascinating piece. It's the very last piece of the tabernacle furniture, and there's really not a lot of detail given, so artist renderings vary tremendously. This is the one from the ESV that they did uh, that I, I think is great but no one really knows what it looks like so let's just read verse 17 here then the lord said to moses you shall make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it with which aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the lord they shall wash with water so that they may not die once again, they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever 
even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. And so you have the ceremonial elements of the washing, but what we know as well, if you're dealing with animals and, and blood and, and all of those things, there's all kinds of potential for bacteria. And so God, I think, in, in this is also demonstrating his grace both physically in the cleansing that was to take place and ceremonially as they washed. Lord, give us clean hands. This is rooted here, right? In that washing that was required by God in the connection to the sacrifices. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make these a sacred anointing oil, as by the perfumer it shall be a holy anointing oil, with which you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all its utensils, and the lampstand, and its utensils, and the altar of incense. This is a a very wonderful smelling aroma that is pretty much all over these different uh, articles of the, of the tent. The table, its utensils, uh, the altar of burnt offering with its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whoever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall uh, say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall not make any, uh, and you make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacti, and onika, and galbanum, sweet spices, and pure frankincense. Of each there shall be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you make, that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It, is, it shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use the perfume shall be cut off from his people. Friends, we have arrived at the finish line. One of the things that struck me as I reflected upon this is a statement that I heard as a young man uh, in the context of prayer requests. I had a friend who said, listen, man, you're, you're asking for prayer about some really small things. God only cares about the big stuff, buddy. You got to just, don't bother him with this little stuff. Read that, and you come away with a view of God altogether different than God only cares about the big stuff. Every detail matters. The tiniest little piece of this matters to God. One of the big questions we have to ask is, will they obey? Will Israel obey and do this? Because life is on the line, isn't it? Hmm. 
response this morning, I want to just draw us to these three realities. The holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the splendor of the gospel. God reveals Himself to be holy in this glory and beauty. That is, that is on display in these things, but it is also completely set apart. He is holy. He dwells in unapproachable light. Who could stand before this God? Can we just saunter in like no big deal? Hey, what's up? No. We come with sin-stained hands. We need to be covered. Our sin is in us and on us. It's on our lips, as Isaiah said. Woe is me. I'm a dead man. All of this holiness of God set on display in these Echoes of his excellence in the tabernacle and the priest's clothes and the fine golds and the jewels. But what is it moving toward? It's moving in love toward his people who are sinners, who need him desperately. So yes, God is holy, but don't see him just out there, up there, lightning bolt, just no relationship, no heart, just mechanical. It's not like that. God is holy and He loves. He stoops down. He comes near. This time of year we sing Emmanuel, God with us. The splendor of the gospel is that God has made a way without compromising the holiness of who He is to save sinners and actually forgive them How do you forgive sinners if you're that holy? Somebody has to pay. Someone has to die. And God says, I will provide the sacrifice. I will send my son to pay the ransom price for our sins that we might be forgiven and that God might be holy in all of it. Justice upheld, mercy, love, and grace shown, forgiveness granted. That's the splendor of the gospel as we prepare to come to the table. Couldn't help but think of Galatians in this. And Paul speaks of how we have have been clothed with Christ through faith in Him. Lord, I come into Your presence and I am sin stained, sin-filled, how could I ever stand before you? And the answer is, only through my Son. And so we come robed in His righteousness. We don't come now as aliens or strangers or rebels or offenders. We come as children. We come as sons and daughters. And we come boldly into His presence. Not flippantly, no. Not lightheartedly, but boldly, with confidence. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. And we can be forgiven. So my question this morning, going back to that fashion place that we began, is who are you wearing today? Who are you wearing? This is the red carpet, right? Hey, who are you wearing? 
Are you wearing Jesus Christ? Is he your garment of holiness that you have donned by grace alone through faith in him? Do you wear him as you come into the presence of God? You can today. Trust him to be your savior. Repent of your sins. Turn and let his work buy you out of the debt that your sin has given. That's what the table reminds us of. We come today once again to this table, the, the bread reminding us of the body of Christ broken for us. Why? Because it should have been us. That's the, that's the debt that we had. That's the price that we should pay. I, I should be on that tree, not Jesus. He took my place. And, and His blood shed for us. We come with the weight of our sinful offense against God. We come with the provision of God's sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And we come with the joy of our forgiveness. That we can be robed in His righteousness because we don't have a Savior who only died. We have a Savior who lives. And that's why we always put the manger by the cross. Right? It's, that's the story. Manger, cross, empty tomb, and then white horse. He's coming again. He's coming again. Let's pray. Lord, now as we prepare to come to the table, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the Gospel. It is spectacular. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus, who has given us life, has granted us forgiveness, and that we can know You and, and, and receive You and a relationship with You. There is no greater treasure. We give praise to you and we worship you now at this table. In Jesus' name, amen.